going, and that is uh, if you have come to appreciate all the beautiful decorations that we have up here and the way by which we got brought into the Christmas spirit and Christmas season, if you uh, would like to extend your appreciation for that, you can come and help us undecorate right after the service. <laughs> if you have the spiritual gift of undecorating, we would love to have you come and get us to help us put us all this stuff away. So that'll be right after the service, right? Yep, so. Okay, um, so this morning we're going to start a new sermon series <clears throat> called Starting Over, appropriately, right? First Sunday of the new year. We're going to start this series of thinking about what does it really mean to start over? We heard last week John the Baptist, right, standing at the beginning of the new year saying, repent, turn around, change course. You know, it doesn't have to be the same way. So we're going to talk today and in the next few weeks about um, not just the concept of starting over, but what are the things that we could consider doing that would help us actually to start over? You know, every year we kind of come up with these New Year's resolutions, you know, and then right about now they stop, you know, and they kind of go away. And so the question is, what is really going on there? And maybe we have to take a look at sort of the bigger picture of starting over and, and the bigger picture about what kind of machine do we have going on in our lives that may be, in, may be producing the same kind of results. You know, if you don't change the machine, you can't, you can't produce different results. It's kind of like if I went to my black and white copier and grabbed a bunch of paper and put it in the tray and hoping that I was going to get color copies, well then, you know, guess what? I'm going to be disappointed unless I change the machine. And only after doing that will I get what I'm hoping for. So we're going to take a look at this idea of how do I change the bigger picture for myself so that I might be able to think about producing different results uh, in my life, in my effort to start over. So to do that, we're going to look at John chapter 1, uh, as we will be looking at the Gospel of John over the course of the next uh, several weeks, kind of making our way through the life and teaching of Jesus. We're going to look at John chapter 1, as we did last week as well, and, uh, and see uh, through this text and through this particular day what it might mean for us to begin this process of starting over. So John chapter 1, verse 35 and following. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples, and he watched Jesus walk by, and he exclaimed, Look, here's the Lamb of God. And the disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And when Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his brother Simon and said to him, We found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. And he brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, Oh, you are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. And the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. And he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew, in Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. And Nathanael said to him, Get anything good, come out of Nazareth. And Philip said to him, Come and see. And when Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael asked him, Where did you get to know me? And Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. 
And Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered, oh, do you believe because I told you that I saw you under a fig tree? Uh, you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the son of man. Let's pray. You are the lion of Judah. You are the word become flesh. And we ask, O oh Lord, that as we wonder about starting over this year, what it might mean for us to see you for who you are and what it might mean to follow you. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Jean-Henri Fabre was a 19th century physicist and botanist and chemist. And one day he was in his greenhouse laboratory looking at his plants and he noticed several pine processionary caterpillars in one of his flower pots. Now, pine processionary caterpillars are distinct in three ways. First, they eat pine needles as their primary staple. Second, they travel never alone, but in procession, one following the other, each following the scent of the other in front of them. So wherever the one in front of me goes, if I'm a pine processionary caterpillar, I go where that one in front of me goes. And then third, pine processionary caterpillars have no leader. Whoever just happens to be in the front is the one who leads. And when that caterpillar falls out, or you know, to get something to eat or to fall asleep, then the next one kind of jumps in and they follow him or her. I don't know if those are him or her in the caterpillar world, but. So Fabre notices these caterpillars have processed up into his flower pot and they were making a ring around the inside of the flower pot and they are processing in a circle. The procession has managed to form a perfect circle so that there's no beginning or end to the line. And all they did was follow one another. And Fabre imagined that they would probably do this for an hour or two until someone figured out that there was kind of going in circles and someone would break the line, but they didn't. And Fabre sprinkled pine needles around the edge of the flower pot, thinking that that might entice them to come out of the flower pot. But they just kept going and going in circle for an hour and two hours. And six hours, 24 hours, two days, four days, seven days. Finally, in the eighth day, one of them made a break <laughs> and peeled off and started down the edge of the pot over to the pine needles, started a new direction, formed a new line, and found food before starving to death. Silly caterpillars, we would say, right? But there is this great attraction, isn't there, to following the procession. When we were young, we had done, and we had done something stupid. Well, I guess maybe you never did anything stupid, but when I was young and did something stupid, and we said to our parents, and our parents caught us doing this stupid thing, they said to us, uh, why did you do it? And we said, what? Everyone did it, right? You know, and, and George and Larry did it. And they would say, what? The typical parent response, which is, well, if George and Larry decided to jump off a bridge, would you decide to jump off a bridge? 
And if we were honest with ourselves, we'd probably say, yeah. The power of procession. And it doesn't just leave us after childhood. No, no, the power of procession is still there in our lives even today, egged on by a thousand different things. We buy things everybody else is buying. We go places where everybody else is going. We wear things that everybody else is wearing. We go to movies that everybody else is going to. And sometimes you can find yourself in that little circle following everybody else. And you realize you're not going anywhere. And you're tired and you have this hunger inside of you that you can't quite figure out and you can't quite get it in your mind how you're going to peel off the circle. Yesterday was Epiphany. And Epiphany is the day in the Christian calendar when the church celebrates the visit of the wise men to Bethlehem. That's not the wise men. That's the that's wise men. Those ones before weren't. <clears throat> They longed to be, they were astrologers, we believe. They were sages, probably from Persia or from Arabia. And the wise men got enchanted by this star. And what the star caused them to do was to peel off. They peeled off, they left their country, they left their kingdom, they left their procession, and they charted a course to a newborn king. Easier, of course, right, to just stay where you are, right? Easier to just kind of hang out in your same old circle, follow the guy in front of you, right? Worship the same God, even. But these guys peel off, and they find for themselves a new king. I suppose something simpler is happening in our simple similar is happening in our story this morning where John the Baptist has this little circle of followers and he sees Jesus walking by and he points and he says, Look the new king, look the new Messiah, look the, the new leader of the procession. And the gospel writer tells us that John's disciples heard him say this, and two of them peeled off and they followed Jesus. And after following and listening long enough, they realized that who this Jesus was, and he was who John said he was and they went to their family and their friends and they said, we have found the new king. We have found the new Messiah, the new leader. Come and see. Come join this new procession. Come join this new person who won't allow us to go in circles anymore. And I suppose as we take up this question of starting over, of charting a new course, of changing the machinery so that we can get color copies, I suppose the first thing to think about is... Who are you following? There is more, there is no more basic fact in life than you are going in the direction, right now, you are going in the direction of the one you're following. And don't think you're not following anybody. Don't delude yourself into thinking that, you know, you're at the front of the line, you're the trailblazer. No. If you're human, you're following somebody, some philosophy, some fad, some presupposition, some guru, even the zeitgeist, the spirit of the times. We are all following someone or something. And the thing is, when you follow long enough, you can get yourself into this little feedback loop where we just keep hearing the same old thing and chasing the same old scent. But with epiphany comes this invitation to meet Jesus again, to come and see the disciples say, to peel off and meet Jesus again for the very first time. 
Because, you know, if there's anything that history teaches us, it said if there's any person to consider following, because we're all going to follow somebody, it's Jesus. Leaders come and go, but strangely enough, after 20 centuries, Jesus is still the reference point. He is still the major question of human civilization. What do you think about Jesus? That's been the question for 2,000 years. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Because we human beings are always in the search for intelligent life. And I don't mean necessarily among the stars and the planets, but even more so, like the wise men, we're always in search for an intelligent life in this world to follow. We always seem to be in search of someone in this world who can help us to figure out how to live the right life, how to live the good life. Billions and billions of people throughout time have decided that the intelligent life to follow is Jesus. Gurus come and go, and fads come and go, and styles come and go, and fashions come and go, but Jesus is still walking through the decades and centuries of time, and, and John is still pointing to him and saying, look, the king, he's the leader. He's the new Messiah. He's the intelligent life. Someone who's here to finally show us how to be human. Someone finally to show us what it means to live the good life. And by grace, some of us peel off. C.S. Lewis, after years of wandering in his own unbelief, after going around in circles for a long time in academia, finally in his 30s, opened himself up just a wee bit to consider again the person of Jesus. And he took the plunge. And he peeled off and derailed his academic career at Oxford. But he was all in. And later he said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. The search for intelligent life. Because you see, that's the first step in starting over, deciding who you're going to follow. To find a new purpose, you have to find a new person. And for many of us, that means meeting Jesus again for the first time. And that means wiping clean your hard drive and opening up the pages of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and reading again, or maybe for the first time, about the life and teaching of Jesus. Maybe start with the gospel of John. Just read a little bit by little bit through the gospel of John. Maybe go to our gospel of John class on Sunday morning, or the Wired Word, or the Quest class that starts on Tuesday, or our discussion. We're having a discussion on mere Christianity on Tuesday night, starting this Tuesday. Tuesday night at 6 o'clock over in the chapel, or upstairs in room 206. But to start over with a consideration of Jesus, a new purpose with a new person. Malcolm Muggeridge, the famous British cynic, satirist, and disbeliever, more by accident than anything else, put himself into the presence of Mother Teresa for a few weeks bad mistake if you don't want to consider Jesus. But through her life and her work with the lepers of India, Malcolm Muggeridge did not see he had any other choice but to consider again the person of Jesus. 
And it led him down this survey of history to see all those generations that had preceded him of Jesus' followers and all the good that they had managed to produce, hospitals and colleges and helping the poor and the needy, color copies that kept being pumped out by the people of God. And so he swallowed his pride, and he decided to meet Jesus for the first time. And he followed and became one of the most ardent advocates all his remaining years. In the end, wrote Mugridge, in the end, coming to faith remains for all a sense of homecoming, of picking up the threads of a lost life, of responding to a bell that has long been ringing, of taking a place at a table that has long been vacant. And so this morning, we take our place at the table. This morning, we maybe peel off our circle and take our place at the table. And at Jesus' table, we find here what we've always been looking for. We find here the intelligent life, the eternal life, the good life. And I can't think of any better place to start over. So friends, we believe in a God who always opens wide his table because he wants everybody to come and find here his love, find here his grace, find here the person who is here to lead us forward. The one who says, I am the way and the truth and the life. The one who says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who says, 